Listener Production. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to their ancestors past and elders present. I acknowledge that the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers. Welcome back to another episode of Black Matters. This is a podcast about First Nations matters and why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network and generally speaking, usually I'm joined by my co-host, Teela Reid, constitutional lawyer and proud Wiradjuri and Wawan woman. However, this week we are without her. She's literally on the other side of the world. But I thought we could take this opportunity today to talk about something that is in the very near future. This won't come as a surprise to anyone, but guys, summer is around the corner. And as we know, we are faced with an El Nino weather pattern that's set to make its way through Australia, which means we will have dry weather conditions, increased risk of drought, and sadly, bushfires, something that this continent has a very tragic history with. Yet prior to white people arriving on this continent, the First Nations people curated this land using fire to regenerate and prepare and protect and to keep that equilibrium in check. So to talk about the value of cultural burning and, and maybe where we can learn more from past practices is Trent Nelson, Jar uh, Jar man who is from the Aboriginal Corporation there and someone that knows a lot about this subject. Trent, thank you so much for joining us on Black Matters this week, mate. We appreciate it. No, thank you. Welcome. Warm. Glad to see you. So let's, let's go all the way back before the white man arrived and brought their, and I'm doing air quotes, expertise on everything. (laughs) How was fire used on this country to A, you know, regenerate the land and B, to prepare for bushfire seasons? Yeah, look, I think, um, look, there's been a lot of research done about this topic and, um, you know, you you can talk with a lot of traditional owners right across Australia and most of them will have some part of a story or a um, ancestry connection to country or place that talks about cultural fire and, and using fire as a tool. Our ancestors and my ancestors in central Victoria used it really um, down here as a way of, uh, I guess, gardening the environment. And I'll call gardening the environment uh, as a bit of a modern-day modern term too. Basically, we use fire as a tool to really look after country to prepare, I guess, for the season. So... Definitely uh, down here with the six different seasons that we have in terms of um, hunting and in terms of resource management, using fire um, basically to cleanse country, to heal country, but also using fire not just for bushfire methods but also for um, really social aspects and bringing you know, ceremony back into it was really important. And, and for us, I mean, we, we live within an uh, environment now today in Australia that is prone to natural bushfires that occur this time of the year. And really for us, it's about bringing those old ways back of knowledge and ways of thinking around using fire as a tool, but bringing it back in a cultural aspect and a cultural way so it's right fire and right time. I mean, I feel like this is an obvious statement to make, but fire clearly just plays and always has played such an important part of First Nations people's lives and, and, and how they live their day-to-day life. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think, look, fire is really um, something that's in all of our, as Aboriginal people, all our genealogies and, and our connections of our clans and our tribes and, and wherever we are across country. And, and I think for us, you know, fire is not a, um, you know, a, a really evil thing that, that our people use, our people use as a creator, as a spirit. You know, it brought peace to, I guess, our country and our people. And, 
I guess we see how fire's been mismanaged over, you know, 100, 200 plus years across our landscapes and our landscapes have changed what they were when our old people used to manage them and, and garden them. And I guess for us, it's about bringing our ways of knowledge back into it, but working also with the Western knowledge now because our landscapes change. So really for us, it's about bridging the gap and, and walking together, I think, for us as Aboriginal people. But um, I think it's really important that we instill our values and our cultural responsibilities, our law, uh, L-O-R-E, back into the landscape using fire and the techniques we can as, as the tool. Before we talk about how, you know, we backburn and, and try and prepare for bushfires using that Western knowledge, this may seem like a, an obvious question. Can you explain just cultural burning and what that practice actually is? Yeah, really, it's really important and it's got to be, I guess, um, it's got to be led by the traditional owners in those areas. Um, you know, they're the right people for country. They speak on behalf of country and uh, it shouldn't be used as a, I guess, a tokenistic term. So we do see other organisations and departments that use the term loosely. For us, really, cultural fire here in central Victoria is a better way of Jajabrung people using and bringing fire back as a tool, as a management tool using it as a health, I guess, for our people and bringing our people as a social aspect back on country and burning and bringing fire back on the country in a, in a safe manner and a cool manner. So that way it's, um, I guess, really for our family, it's a lot more respectful to country, but it's also what's safer for us on the ground that, that we're putting fire into the landscape on that day. And we're also bringing, you know, along with our ceremony and we're doing that on the day, bringing our language back, our song, but also... You know, for us, just seeing that flame reignite country again and actually burn areas where that hasn't been burned for a very long time. And, and for us, we've got to do it the right way. If we do it the wrong way, then that's where we start seeing, you know, fire escaping and getting out and, and causing, you know, hazards to life and property. There has been a little bit of talk, and I guess this sort of happens at around this time of year, every year, about whether there has been enough preparations put in place ahead of what potentially this summer could be a really long and dry summer, whether that's environmental issues, we just haven't had the weather to do the backburning, or whether that's just the way that we do it these days. What are, what are the differences between modern day backburning um, and how we do things now versus this cultural burning that you talk about? There's, there's methods of ways we can, I guess, adopt from our old people in how they used to backburn and they use fire as a tool cross-country, it's it's really um, a big conversation on how we do it because obviously our landscapes change. We have a lot more population growth around a lot of our towns and, and, and cities. So where our landscapes were, where, the, where our cultural heritage sits within the landscape that we, we try and protect using fire, we've also got to think about risk now. It's not about just dropping a match and walking away. Mm -hmm. um, our old people had that luxury because they knew where fire would, would move to. They knew the landscape. They, they lived and breathed it every day, where a lot of our people, um, unfortunately, don't have that, that luxury. Bringing back on country and being on country, and a lot of our people live off country as well. So they're things that we've got to try and encompass and, and build that knowledge again. How do, how do First Nations peoples learn this skill? Was it, is it just something that is passed down through generations? How, how do they gain that knowledge to, to do this cultural burning? Yeah, look, I think from us, we're really lucky. Um, but Aboriginal people and their kinship laws and connections to, to other groups and, and how they've been married into other groups, we all share that knowledge. And, and I guess some of that knowledge in some groups is lost. 
But what we try and do down here in central Victoria and, and I know with other groups I've worked right across Australia, it's about people sharing their knowledge together about fire and how fire was used back a long time ago with our ancestors. And and I guess for us it's about sitting down and talking about those stories and name yarns and, and actually bringing that back together, back on country and trialling it back on country together with just our mob but also with our neighbours as well, our neighbouring groups to to come together and walk together and actually learn from fire because fire is actually a being, it's 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 a spirit. It actually tells us when the right time is to put it put it back in country and when it when it's the wrong time. So we can learn a lot by fire, but we have to make sure that we're being respectful and we we understand that it is a being, it is something that um lives and breathes. And for us it's really important we we do that so we learn from that knowledge of fire being put back in the landscape in a safe way. I guess this knowledge of cultural burning, as you said, being lost is probably sadly a reflection of what what has happened in this country over the years since the white man arrived, you know, 200 odd years ago. And that a lot of uh, a lot of that knowledge and a lot of those customs and culture sadly was pushed to one side, including cultural burning. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's really, you see a lot of our people that have been taking off country and due to colonisation settlement and a lot of that um, knowledge sometimes can be lost, can be... Um, disconnected to country and and for us we have a long journey we've got a long way to walk but it's really important I guess for us as Judge Albrung in central Victoria we really portray the model of, of walking together Nalbarongyana in our language that we walk with all the community not just ourselves all of our, mm-hmm. our non-Aboriginal brothers and sisters mm-hmm. to work together and to learn so we can create a better future that I guess over the last 200 years of land management practices that have destroyed our country, that we don't continue those for another 200 years. Because for us, it's about us healing country and healing ourselves. And we don't want to see that for our future generations, I guess. And and learning from fire as one tool of land management as a practice, um, you know, that, that I think can actually solve a lot of our problems socially and and culturally and also, you know, our, our land management as well in how we do it. But we've got to have people that listen to us as well yep. and support us. So it's very important. I'm certain that there is someone listening to this right now going, a fire is a fire. Like, what do you mean there are different ways to do it? You just, you know, you light a match or whatever, you let it burn and you hope the wind's blowing the right way. When it comes to cultural burning, clearly it's about respect. It's about treasuring that land that you are cleansing and regenerating. How is a cultural, like, this again seems like a really stupid question, but how do you do it? Like, how does it separate itself from just a regular bushfire brigade doing their back burning. I've heard terms like mosaic burning Correct. and almost controlling the temperature so it doesn't get too hot and out of control. How is the practice actually done? Yeah, so really um, it's a good question. I think, look, in terms of what I've seen across uh, Australia in terms of each group, each group does it differently. But really for us it's about cool burning. It's about putting fire into a landscape and it's it's a bit hard to understand it if you think about cool the name cool yeah. when it comes to, uh, you know, fire, <laughs> putting it in the landscape as a hot hot tool, a hot, hot practice. But for us, it's about putting fire into a landscape and making it actually control itself. So it actually finds its own way, to, its own fuel on the ground. So that's the bark, the leaves that actually can actually mo- uh, mosaically burn and it, and it leaves patches of unburned area. That supports all of the insects and the animals that are out there. Yep that they have refuge mm-hmm. and that for us, we can go out there and we'll start a fire. And we don't actually use 
what probably the department use in terms of a, a mechanical, like a drip torch that holds fuel, holds burner mix yep. as basically a way of igniting the fuel. We usually, usually do it by lighting one match and we'll start a fire and we'll actually burn off that fire using bark or grass or vegetation around it. So we're not actually putting any more chemical into the burner or anything like that. It's more moving fire around and where fire actually finds its own areas that it can burn, it will burn. And where it doesn't, where there's more moisture, where you know, fuel and bark on the ground isn't ready to burn, it won't burn. And that's that's the whole idea of cool burning. It lets the fire take its time through the landscape and we're not pushing it, we're not forcing it. If we go to a burn that could be a hectare in size, we might only burn 20% of that because the fuel, the grass, the, the bark, the leaves on the ground aren't ready to be burnt. So that's telling us, okay, we'll come back at another time, another week later, and we'll try it again. We're not forcing to burn that area in the one day. We're actually letting the fire tell us what it wants to do. So for us, that's that community aspect of doing ceremony at the start of a burn, bringing um, song, language, all that, that back into it and actually working together as a group and getting people back on country that haven't been on there for a long time and and getting them to learn the practice of cultural fire. And, and it might even be just sitting around and having a yarn while the fire is happening. Um, that, that's as simple as, as it can be. And, and that's that enjoyment that we need to sort of use cultural fire as a tool. So it solves a whole lot of the objectives, I guess, around in what we want to do as um, you know, Aboriginal people. And for me, that's my healing when I'm doing that out on country. It's, it's what sort of, you know, um, gets all my my stress away and, and, you know, I'm really happy. I'm enjoying being out there on the ground. So that's the difference of a cultural burn compared to a, uh, I guess, a, a departmental burn where it's actually burning and burning fuel and getting it down to a risk reduction level that a fire can't go through there. So they're yeah, a bit of the differences. In terms of the fire department and official channels, how receptive have they been to these practices that have clearly been working for a long, long time? And are, are they becoming more open to trying your ways as opposed to what they think is best? Yeah, look, most definitely. I've, I've seen, especially um, for us and Judge Albert country, we've got really good relationships with um, our fire departments and, and our land managers, I guess, for us around joint management and those sort of things in what we're doing at the moment. For us, really, we're seeing a way of walking together and it's taken a while you know we, we started our program back in 2017 of Jandak We, which is country fire bringing back fire into the landscape and it's been a long journey and, it, and, and it's going to take a long time but we can see the goodwill the good work that's happening and that the non-aboriginal community as well out there that love the landscapes love our country they're really willing to support cultural fire back in the landscape and as the fire departments do, they see the benefit as well. And it's not a perfect world. We still have our hurdles we have to jump over and, you know, we have some walls that come up that will stop us from doing what we want to do. But for us, we're learning from that as we move forward and I think that's what it's about. You know, when you build relationships, it's not always a, uh, you know, a straight path. It's There's some bends and curves in it. So that's a really important thing to, to understand that, um, you know, it takes a long time to get where you need to be. But as long as you're on the same page and they're being respectful to one another, then we'll end up with a brighter future, I think. And I, I guess 
coming up with the best forms of fire management is probably just a reflection on this country as a whole moving forward. It's through that shared knowledge. It's it's coming to the table as equals and working together on this and a great many things, which is ultimately going to protect us from those shocking bushfire seasons and get things in a much better place moving forward. Yeah, look, I would hope so. I mean, it's um, really devastating seeing what happens across in the last few years of bushfire and what's happening sort of at the moment in Queensland. It's it's devastating seeing that and the loss of life and property. And for us, um, you know, as Aboriginal people, we've lived with fire. You know, all of our lives, all of our generations have lived with fire in the landscape. Australia is a bushfire-prone area. It's a landscape that attracts fire. And, and I guess for us, we've just got to learn to live with that moving forward. Um, we're seeing that, you know, with Urban Interface, how that's encroaching on our landscapes and, and our cultural values where predominantly before there was no risk because there was nobody living close to a, a you know a national park or a bushland setting. But we've just got to learn to adapt and I think that's what the legacy's been from our ancestors. They adapted for thousands of years with the landscape and the environment. Us as a people, as, as humans, we don't learn to adapt enough. We, we're trying to control everything and that's probably sometimes the risk that backfires on us. And let's, let's just cross fingers as we started the chat. You know, we're heading into a, an El Nino weather pattern, which means it's going to be a dry summer. We hope that the damage has been minimised and hopefully moving forward uh, through practices like cultural burning, we can get this country in much better shape. Trent, uh, on Black Matters, we believe that First Nations language matters as well. So we like to just wrap up every episode with a, a First Nations word. Just wondering, Trent, you know, if, if you've got one that you could share this week. Yeah, so for Jaja Burang, we say Batak, which means take care. And basically be safe. Which is what we hope everyone will do this summer season. We cross fingers again that these bushfires are minimised as best they can. Uh, Trent Nelson from the Jaja Wurrung Clan Aboriginal Corporation, mate. Really insightful, really interesting chat. And thank you so much for coming on Black Matters with me this week. Thank you, mate. Take care. And if this is your first time listening to Black Matters, make sure you go and check out the entire back catalogue. There's a lot there for you to inhale and digest. And we will chat to you next week on another episode of Black Matters. Yalu. Yeah.